This is Music Notes and More with your host, Jason Ginty. Def Leppard drummer loses an arm. Johnny Cash plays a prison. Keith Moon runs over his chauffeur. The Doors release their first album and Michael Stipe celebrates a birthday. Let's take a look back in music history for the week of December 29th. It was this week back in 1999 that George Harrison and his wife Olivia were attacked when an intruder broke into their home. They lived in Oxfordshire at the time. Now, Olivia ends up beating the crap out of the attacker with a fireplace poker and a heavy lamp. Harrison, who was stabbed in the chest, was admitted to the hospital and treated for a collapsed lung and various minor stab wounds. His wife, Olivia, was treated for cuts and bruises she'd suffered in the struggle with the attacker. Police later arrested Michael Abram. He had been obsessed, irrationally, with the Beatles for years. Back in 1984, Def Leppard drummer Rick Allen crashed his car on the A57 outside Sheffield, England. Now, Allen was on his way to a New Year's Eve party at his family's home when a Jaguar passed him. Now, the driver had been egging Allen on and would not allow him to pass. In his rage to pass the driver, Allen lost control of his left-handed drive Corvette Stingray, coming off a sharp left-hand turn. Remember, he's driving in England, so he's driving on the wrong side of the road in a left-hand drive car. That makes it a little more difficult. The car flips over and hits a wall. His seatbelt came undone and took his left arm off as he was thrown through the sunroof. Now, luckily, a local nurse, another district nurse, and a policeman all stopped by right away to help Rick. He would later recall being completely conscious in those first few minutes after the crash. He says, standing in that field on the verge of total shock, suddenly realizing his left arm was no longer attached to his body, he screamed out, quote, God, I'll never play the drums again. Well, surgeons managed to reattach Rick's arm. But sadly, on January 4th, a few days later, it had to be amputated due to infection. Rick then left the hospital on January 29th, 1985, almost a month later. Now, you have a drummer with only one arm. How is this going to work? You see, Def Leppard was already in the studio working on an album that had to be finished, and now they didn't think they had a drummer. Well, while Rick was in recovery at the hospital, the nurses put this huge piece of foam at the bottom of the bed in order to keep him from sliding down, which he could sort of press his feet on and push himself up if he needed to. After listening to music for a few days, he realized he could still play quite a lot of parts from some of his favorite songs just using his feet. Eight weeks later, Rick Allen was back in the studio. His new customized drum kit had been set up in Studio 4. So every day, for three weeks, he would practice alone while the band worked on their new album, Hysteria, in Studio 2. He would meet the others for coffee breaks, but at all other times, the door to Studio 4 was firmly shut. He'd been in there just playing and playing and playing, according to Joe Elliott, the singer of Def Leppard. He wanted to make all the mistakes on his own, and then... He called us all in one day and said, listen to this. He played When the Levy Breaks from Led Zeppelin. We all ended up crying. From that moment, 
I think we all started to believe that Rick Allen was going to become our drummer once again. Well, fast forward 20 months later, Rick Allen took the stage for the first time since the accident. There was no easing back into the routine. You see, his first gig was at the Monsters of Rock Festival at Castle Donington. The crowd was massive and welcomed him back with an enthusiasm that throughout the years has caused him to tear up every time. The Hysteria album the band was working on pre-crash went on to sell over 20 million copies worldwide. Rick Allen said the outpouring from his family, guys in the band, and literally people from all over the world gave me a new lease on life. I understood the meaning of how strong the human spirit is. Rick started the Raven Drum Foundation, a nonprofit that works to inspire others through their time of tragedy and hopelessness. The foundation has worked closely with wounded military members and offers free tickets to every Def Leppard concert. He says, quote, it was obviously an awful time, you know, losing my arm, especially being a drummer. But honestly, it's really become a blessing. It's something that I've been able to share with others especially some of our wounded warriors and just being able to share my life experience and inspire others. What a great deal. You know, it's really become something very special and it's something that's very healing to myself as well. Not only to the men and women that I work with, but to me. This week back in 1959, Johnny Cash played a free concert for the inmates of San Quentin Prison, California. This was the beginning of a series of concerts held at various prisons throughout the rest of his career. Cash, who was arrested several times but never sentenced to prison, performed the concert out of the kindness of his heart and a feeling of compassion for those who had made bad choices as he once had. During his New Year's Day show, 19-year-old Merle Haggard, who was serving time for burglary, was in the audience. In fact, Haggard credits the concert with turning his life around. He says, quote, he had the right attitude. He chewed gum. He looked arrogant and he flipped the bird to the guards. He did everything the prisoners wanted to do. He was a mean mother from the South who was there because he loved us. When he walked away, everyone in that place had become a Johnny Cash fan. Merle Haggard, of course, went on to be quite the country musician in his own right. Cash went on to perform at several other prisons, ultimately inspiring two albums, Johnny Cash at Folsom Prison, released in 1968, and Johnny Cash at San Quentin, released in 1969. The Man in Black did more than just perform at prisons, always for free, though. He tirelessly campaigned for the rights of prisoners. Cash became an outspoken advocate for those behind prison walls. He identified with the prisoners because many of them had served their sentences and had been rehabilitated in some cases, but were still kept there the rest of their lives. He felt a great empathy with those people. This week, back in 2005, Green Day were at number one on the album chart with their seventh album called American Idiot. This is a great album, man. Now listen, the album went on to be nominated for seven Grammy Awards, winning Best Rock Album for 2005. American Idiot is the seventh studio album following the disappointing sales of their previous album, Warning, back in 2000. Now, the band took a break before beginning their next album called Cigarettes and Valentines. The recording 
was cut short when the master tapes were stolen and the band decided to start from scratch. So Cigarettes and Valentines never happened, never came out. So they started all over again, and a concept album dubbed a punk rock opera by the band members, American Idiot, follows the story of Jesus of Suburbia, a lower middle-class American adolescent anti-hero. American Idiot became a musical that used every song from the record as well as some songs from the follow-up album, 21st Century Breakdown. The musical premiered in Berkeley in 2009 before debuting on Broadway in 2010. Definitely go back and listen to American Idiot from beginning to end. Follow the lyrics because it's pretty amazing. It was in 1969 this week that Jimi Hendrix was appearing live on the Lulu TV show in the United Kingdom. And he was booked to perform two songs. He was supposed to play Voodoo Child, which was performed in full. Then Hendrix stopped performing his new single called Hey Joe after a verse and a chorus and then launched into a version of the cream song sunshine of your love and this was done in a tribute to the band who had split just a few days earlier Jimi hendrix then continued jamming and jamming and jamming he uh, continued jamming and running over the allotted time slot on the live show preventing the show's host lulu from closing the show properly they just had to chop it off at the end and go on to the next program this week, back in 1946, the great John Paul Jones, bass player, keyboards, producer with Led Zeppelin, was born. Now, he was a session player in the 1960s. He worked with the Rolling Stones, the Yardbirds, Donovan, Jeff Beck, Herman's Hermits, Lulu, Tom Jones, and many, many others. In recent years, of course, well, wait, let me backtrack. He then was in Led Zeppelin for quite a long time. Anyway, in recent years, Jones has worked with R.E.M. on 1992's Automatic for the People album. In 2005, the Foo Fighters were working on the In Your Honor album. Dave Grohl put in a phone call to Jones to see if he'd be interested in coming into the studio to add a bit of instrumentation. Well, John Paul Jones loves to collaborate with other musicians. He agreed to play the mandolin on a song called Another Round, and the piano on the song called Miracle. Jones would collaborate with Dave Grohl once again four years later, along with Queens of the Stone Age frontman Josh Hom in a supergroup named Them Crooked Vultures. That is a great album as well. This week back in 1967, The Doors released their self-titled debut album called huh, The Doors. Now, the album features their breakthrough single, Light My Fire, of course. It also features Break On Through and The End. The album was recorded by producer Paul A. Rothschild and audio engineer Bruce Botnick at Sunset Studios in Hollywood, California in less than a month. In the end, the vocal interlude of the final minutes was mixed down to make Morrison's repeated use of the word fuck unintelligible. Yes, there is him. You can hear it. It's, it's been re-released and remixed. There is a version where he's just saying fuck over and over and over again at the end of the song. And by the way, it's pretty awesome. Anyway, they had to take that out because it was 1967 and there's no way that was going to be allowed. After recording the song The End, Jim Morrison returned to the studio later that night. He was loaded up on LSD and he hosed down the band's equipment with a fire extinguisher. Now, the song would go on to be featured prominently in Francis Ford Coppola's 1979 Vietnam War film Apocalypse Now 
And man, you want to talk about a song being used perfectly in a film? That is one of those great instances. Now, Break On Through to the Other Side only reached number 126 on the singles chart due to very little radio airplay. You see, Elektra Records edited the line, She Gets High, out of the song, knowing that a drug reference would discourage airplay. Again, you can listen to updated versions of it today, and that line has been put back in. And it actually makes the, sound, the song sound even better. Their breakout hit, Light My Fire, was composed by guitarist Robbie Krieger. Now, although the album version was over seven minutes long, it was widely requested for radio airplay. So the record label thought that a single version would be better, so they edited it down to under three minutes with nearly all the instrumental break removed. The album peaked at number two on the charts in September of 1967. Which album was ahead of it? Yeah, that's right. The Beatles' Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band album was at number one. Now, to promote the album, Elektra Records purchased the very first rock billboard in history. You see, billboards had traditionally been used to push films, food, cigarettes, and a host of other products. And this was the first time a rock band would appear on a billboard. In the bio for the album, Jim Morrison claimed his parents to be dead. Well, they were very much alive. Now, he just hadn't spoken to anyone in his family for years. They had no idea he was in a band. That's right. His family didn't know Jim Morrison was in a band. That's how long they had been separated. Jim Morrison's brother, Andy, only found out when a classmate showed him the Doors album cover and pointed out his resemblance to the lead singer. Quote, a friend of mine brought me the album. I'd been listening to Light My Fire for months and I didn't know that it was Jim Morrison, my brother, singing that song. This week back in 1999, three ferrets, yes, three ferrets named Beckham, Posh Spice, and Baby Spice were used to lay power cables for a rock concert being held in London. You see, workers were not allowed to dig up the turf at the Royal Park Stadium. Organizers found that rods could not push the cables through the tiny tunnels that were under the stadium, which frequently bend and they dogleg. So the ferrets were eased into tiny nylon harnesses with wires, which were then attached to a rope. The animals ran into a series of ducks, which were under the stage like rabbit runs, leading the cables with them. The ferrets instinctively make for any hole in the ground and are enticed to the end of the duct by a slab of smelly meat. The New Year's Eve concert featured Simply Red, Eurythmics, and Brian Ferry, and the cables were run by harnessed ferrets. Can you imagine being in that meeting and some guy goes, uh -huh, you know what? I got some ferrets we can use. I mean, think of that. That must have been one weird meeting, but it worked. This week back in 1970, chauffeur Neil Boland was accidentally killed when the Who's drummer, Keith Moon, ran him over with his Bentley. You see, Moon was trying to escape from a gang of skinheads after a fight broke out at a pub in England. Boland got out to try and protect the car, but left it in gear. He fell under the car and it started moving, with Keith Moon jumped behind the wheel and he tried to escape the fight. Well, you see, the problem with that is Keith Moon 
never passed his driving tests and didn't have a license and apparently wasn't a very good driver. This week back in 1986, Irish singer-songwriter and bassist Phil Lynott of Thin Lizzy died of heart failure and pneumonia after being in a coma for eight days following a drug overdose. With Thin Lizzy, he had the 1973 hit Whiskey in the Jar, which of course was their version of the traditional Irish song. And later on, Metallica would go on to cover their version of Whiskey in the Jar. They also had hits, uh, The Boys Are Back in Town, Jailbreak, Waiting for an Alibi. Either way, great band. The group's 1978 album, Live and Dangerous, spent 62 weeks on the United Kingdom chart. Today, there is a life-size bronze statue of Phil Lynott. It was unveiled on Harry Street in Dublin, Ireland in 2005. I was in Dublin a few years ago, and yeah, I walked by, grabbed a pint, and stood out there and drank a pint with the statue of Phil Lynott. Back in 2006, the house where Johnny Cash lived for 35 years was bought by BG singer Barry Gibb. Now, the very rustic house near Nashville, Tennessee, went on the market in June of 2005 with an asking price of 2.9 million bucks. Uh, Barry Gibb said he planned to preserve the house to honor the cash memory. Well, unfortunately, Gibb's ownership of the house was short-lived. In April 2007, the house burned to the ground. Gibb was having the house renovated when a flammable spray sealer caused fire to break out during construction. This week back in 1960, Michael Stipe was born. Of course, you know him as a singer, songwriter, musician, photographer, and the leader of R.E.M. Now, the band was pivotal in the creation and development of the alternative rock genre. You see, Stipe met the other members of R.E.M. and dropped out of school in 1980 to focus on the band. Stipe had planned a collaboration with friend Kurt Cobain, of course, you know him as lead singer of Nirvana, in 1994 partly in an attempt to lure Cobain away from his home and his drug addiction. However, they did not manage to compose or record anything before Cobain's suicide. Stipe was chosen as the godfather of Cobain and Courtney Love's daughter, Frances Bean Cobain. R.E.M. recorded the song Let Me In from the 1994 album Monster as a tribute to Kurt Cobain. As a member of R.E.M., Stipe was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2007. Music Notes and More is written, produced, and hacked together by me, Jason Ginty, and is brought to you by Pirates of the Quarter Tours, the most unique walking tour of the French Quarter in New Orleans. Get the details at piratesofthequarter.com. And be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast and follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and check out my YouTube channel.